Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors and church planting interns here at TLC. And just a quick recap, our church has been going through the 101 series and have been preaching on topics like God, the Bible, faith. Last week, Mike preached on the cross, and today I'll be preaching on the Holy Spirit from Romans. The reason why we're going back to the basics of Christian truths is so that we can be more firmly built on the foundation that we have in order to live out healthy Christian lives, both individually and then corporately. One of the things that I love most about TLC is that we don't have a one-church mentality, but we want our church and city and communities around us, like St. Jamestown, to know and have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. One of the metrics for success of our church, it's not seating capacity, but sending capacity. In other words, our church isn't just about attendance or how big our church can get or how big our building can be or how many people we can usher into our services— but how many people that we can tell about Jesus in our cities and in our communities because they don't know Jesus. And as Christians, we believe 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17, all scriptures God breathed out by God, or all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the, mon- that the man of God, so Christians here, may be uh, complete, equipped for every good work. And so as you guys are given motivation, hope, and life through this series, we want, to equip you, we want to equip you to engage your communities, whether that's at home with family members, with believers, with coworkers, with classmates, with friends, with our neighbors, and whoever else God puts in your lives. And so uh, the bottom line for today, I took this for Mike. Not that he actually wrote this out for me, but I just thought it'd be more simple for you guys. The Spirit of God shapes us into the character of God so that we begin to do the will of God. So the Spirit of God shapes us into the character of God so that we begin to do the will of God. Uh, a few weeks ago, me, Mike, and Missy, uh, we went to see their children's recital. Uh, it was a piano recital. And you could tell that Emerson and Reagan and their two daughters and all the other children were, were pretty nervous. And as they played, some of the children were sort of out of rhythm and and out of timing, and they fumbled with the pieces that they were playing. But overall, they all did a pretty good job. But at the very end, as a gift to everyone, uh, the lead teacher had a few pieces prepared as a postlude. Like any professional piano teacher, she sits up with her posture straight up, feet flat on the floor, fingers curled perfectly, and she begins to play. And it looks as if she's doing like ballet on the piano because her movements were so fluid and beautiful looking. It felt like as if I was in a trance as I was watching her because it was so otherworldly. And actually, uh, me and Missy at the same time, we looked over at Mike and he just let out this big yawn. (laughs) But, but, But to his credit, we asked him later why he yawned. It was because actually... Reagan yawned first, and it was contagious, and so, so, he got, so I got you, Mike. 
But at the end of it, we talked about it. We all actually had a really good time and enjoyed the pieces. And so you see, some of us, if not most of us, have this childlike mentality when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We sort of understand who he is, but we're, we're quite not sure. We sort of fumble with the idea of him, but we don't actually know the true power and potential that we have residing in us, in our lives, in us, so that our lives are out of rhythm in the way that God wants us to live. Often we think of the Holy Spirit as this impersonal, subordinate being that is third-ranked in the Trinity. Uh, I'm just going to use this analogy. Remember that kid that's picked last for sports? And some of you guys are, that's me, and your hands are getting sweaty. I hope I'm not bringing back bad memories. But there's always that one kid. And we sort of treat the Holy Spirit like that. We want the stronger and more powerful members of the Trinity, like God the Father and God the Son on our team. When was the last time we said, thank you, Holy Spirit? Or when was the last time we said, I love you, Holy Spirit? And if we stack up all the Christian books and music about Jesus and, and the Father on one side, and we stack up the Holy Spirit on the other, there's a huge imbalance. At best, we know the Holy Spirit as our comforter and advocate or teacher. But my hope is to show you the uh, amazing life-giving truths of the Holy Spirit so that it can shape you into the character of God so that you can begin to do the, do the will of God. So just some really uh, quick background information on the book of Romans. Apostle Paul wrote this book, and it's one of his greatest theological masterpieces. He was writing this letter to Christians and non-Christians to unite them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like how our, our Christian lives are filled with unbelievers, Paul wants us to be intentional and active in pursuing them for the sake of their souls. And to understand the context of the passage I'll be teaching on today, which is Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, we need to go back actually one chapter to verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 21 to 25. I think it should be there. So this is chapter 7, verse 21 to 25. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging, uh, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So Apostle Paul is struggling with this idea of sin and how it produces death. And he's asking a rhetorical question. Who will deliver me? And he points to the cross, which is what Pastor Mike preached on last week. And in chapter 8, he points to the Spirit and what that new life looks like. So I'll read chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. It should be a slide as well, right? Okay. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he, con he condemned sin in the flesh. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was teaching the older boys in Kid City uh, about the gospel. And I asked Nils, who's Courtney's son. I don't know if she's, if she's here. But Nils is Courtney's son, and she's one of the members here at Tilsey. And... I asked Nils, what would you say if God came to you right now and, and said, why, would I, why should I let you into heaven? What reason would you give me? And he sort of paused and he said this, 
Maybe I can try to be a good person. And you know what? The average Christian often thinks the same thing. Whenever I have conversations with people about their salvation, they often say, well, you know, I sort of struggle here and there with sin, but I'm trying to do my best. I try to go to church. I give offering, pray, and read my Bible. After some more conversation with Nils, he finally understood the gospel, and he gave this sort of Twitter version of of chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. He said this, We aren't perfect, but Jesus is our perfectness. So what did he mean by that? And what did Apostle Paul mean by that? Jesus was morally perfect, and he never sinned. In fact, he's the only one who perfectly obeyed God's commandments, but was put to death in our place as our substitute. Even though we sinned against a holy and just God, who had every right to condemn us, doesn't because our debt is paid by Jesus once and for all. In other words, Jesus, the perfect law keeper, deserved life but was given death and condemnation so that we lawbreakers who deserve death and condemnation are given life. So Jesus, the perfect law keeper, deserved life but was given death and condemnation so that we lawbreakers who deserve death and condemnation are given life. And I'll I'll unpack more of that in a bit. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing, which is a free gift from God. Isaiah 53.5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so it's his righteousness, his goodness, and his obedience in which we are saved, not by attending church, not by being morally good, not by trying harder, but by placing all of our hope in our, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is what the gospel is. And then now Paul goes on to, chap, uh, Paul goes on to verse uh, 4, 5, and 6, which I'll read for you guys. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So Apostle Paul goes into the reality of our flesh. He says that there are two types of people. Those who set their minds on the flesh, which brings death, and those who set their minds on the Spirit, which gives life. When Apostle Paul here uses the word flesh, he means that our whole moral and mental inclination is to sin and that we actually take pleasure in it, something that we desire. It's our natural sort of, it's our natural um, knee-jerk reaction. It's to sin because we enjoy it. It's something that we want to do. Uh, for some of you guys, some of you know my testimony and, and who I was before and, and who, I was, uh, who, I'm, who I am now. Um, but I'm just going to share a little bit about, um, about my testimony. So I hope you guys are encouraged and what sort of life looked like in the flesh and what life looks like now in the spirit. So before I was a Christian, I was living a life that was producing death. Although I grew up in the church and my dad was a pastor, I wasn't a Christian and I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I actually hated the church, Christians and pastors, Because in my mind, all I saw were people that acted in the same way as the world, if not worse. I dropped out of high school in, 
I dropped out of high school and church in grade 10 because I got recruited into a gang. I was a drug dealer for several years, selling things like cocaine, marijuana, ecstasy, and other types of drugs. I carried my first 9mm handgun when I was 16 years old. Not only was I... Oh, right? <laughs> I thought you were doing something. Think... Someone else? He's <laughs> like, cut it. You're done. You gotta... <laughs> I was pointing something. Oh, I thought he was like... <laughs> so I think I gotta, I gotta sit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. I think as I was talking about the drugs and guns, he's like, okay, we gotta cut. It's too much. <laughs> it's like, okay. All right, then. So I carried my first 9mm gun. Um, by the way, if, if you're new to TLC and, and your kids are uh, in Kid City right now, don't be worried. I, I'm a new creation. I, I, I'm, a born, I'm a born-again Christian, so don't worry. Please come back next week, learn more about what Jesus is doing. <laughs> so, so not only was I selling drugs, but I was doing them as a way to escape the loneliness and brokenness in my own life. I've almost overdosed on drugs on a few occasions, which I could have died from. At the age of 18, I started drinking heavily at bars and at the clubs every single week. It would be routine. Me and my business partners would sell drugs all week and spend it on alcohol and drugs on the weekend. Moreover, my life was filled with anger and physical violence. I've had friends who've been stabbed to death, known people who have been executed, and, have even had, and myself even had done terrible things to people. I used to drive a BMW, I had a $7,000 watch, wore expensive brand name clothing, and could easily make a few thousand dollars a week. I even had to get a money counter to count all the drug money that I was bringing in from all this illegal activity. While all this was happening, I was depressed and suicidal. I seriously contemplated suicide at least two times because I felt, this, I felt hopeless and I felt alone. Even with all this power, the respect, the money, the, the pleasure, the materialism, it was never enough. I felt even more empty and unsatisfied and was producing nothing but death in my life. Fast forward a few years to 2011, our family received the devastating news that my mom was terminally ill, terminally ill with cancer. This is essentially where I hit rock bottom. If things weren't bad enough, my mom was dying and, and only had a few months to live. I remember one night coming home, I think I was like selling drugs or doing some sort of, I was, I was drinking, I was doing something crazy that night when I came home and my mom was lying on the couch and she's already like in this anorexic and, and she's, she's on her way out. And I, I check up on her and I see how she's doing and then I went in my room and I remember just sitting there confused and hurt. But the weird thing is I felt God calling me to pray to him and, and the reason why I thought that was weird was because I wasn't seeking after God. I wasn't going to church, I didn't have Christian friends, and I didn't even know how to pray at that time. I was probably out of church for about, I think, 10 years. But with tears coming down my face, I started to confess all my sins and ask for forgiveness. I had this new awareness of all the sin that was going on in my life, but at the exact same time, I felt this love and peace from God, which I never felt before. Within that time until now, I completed my high school diploma, my Bachelor of Religious Education and Master's Degree in Pastoral Ministries, gone on mission trips to Cambodia and Mexico, and have been serving the church in ministry for the past seven years. 
Actually, I remember uh, a few months ago, I met Joshua. Uh, he's, no, there he is. He's, he's there. I met Joshua, and we were at uh, Starbucks, and we were just sharing sort of our testimonies and, and what God was doing in my life and his life. And he had to go to the washroom, and he, and, and he left. And this guy turned around, and he says, oh, sorry to interrupt, but I was just listening to your story and was amazed to hear all these things that you went through and, and who you are now. So you see, there was something otherworldly and attractive about my life that the Spirit was doing. It was, my life before was giving death, but my life now was giving life through the Spirit. He was actually so impressed that he suggested that I write a book about it. And this guy was like a six-foot white male. And to be honest, I was just waiting for him to sort of go down and speak into some mic and say like, 10-4, 10-4, we got him. But thank, but thank, I actually thought he might have been an undercover cop. I do have flashes like that, like, oh, is this the day that, you know, they're going to come and get me? But thankfully, he didn't. Now, for some of you, your lives right now or in the past might not look like mine. But there are other sins in your lives that's producing death. You might not be saying this out loud, but the deepest, in the deepest realm of your soul, you're saying, if I just have the perfect spouse, or if I'm just in love, or if I have the perfect career or income or promotion or house or children, or if I just look beautiful, my life will be worth living. We were created to worship, and so we'll either worship the one true God of the Bible, who will love you and satisfy all the cravings of your heart, or you'll worship something else and be enslaved to it and be punished by it for the rest of your life. Some of you are addicted to certain sins that have been producing death for a very long time. And the lie of the devil is, this will satisfy you, but actually leaves you more empty and produces a life of death and long-term destruction. But guys, remember that we have the Holy Spirit in us that produces life and peace. Uh, verse 2 earlier in chapter 8, Paul says this, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It doesn't say that we set ourselves free, but the Spirit comes in and gives us new life. God, out of his good grace, sends the Holy Spirit into our lives. And one of the most important works the Spirit is doing right now in a Christian's life is making you more like Jesus. Sanctification. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this. Is it up there? No? Okay. So I'll read it for you guys. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So the Holy Spirit can set you free from addiction. He can bring you peace in the darkest times of your life. And he can give you an unshakable joy and confidence in Christ, which produces life and peace. So let me read uh, verses 7 and 8 for you guys. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here, Apostle Paul says, if you are not a Christ follower, if you're not a Christian, if you do not believe in the, go uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, he uses this word, cannot, twice to emphasize the importance of this negative statement. If you're not a Christian, all your prayers, all your church going, all your tithes, all your offerings, all your religious act uh, activities, all your goodness can never please God. You can do all these things and still not be saved because you aren't doing them to the glory of God. 
You aren't submitting to God and you, and, <coughs> excuse me, you aren't submitting to God and you actually don't like ha- having authority over you because we like being in control of our lives. And in some way you're saying, my kingdom come and my will be done. And I know most people might think, if God is good, why would he send me to hell? But the reality is, those who do not submit themselves to God and don't want him, essentially get that for all eternity. God is giving you an abundant amount of chances to come to him, to confess your sins, and to ask for forgiveness, and to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. The world will never give you peace and joy and confidence that the Holy Spirit can give you. Because the only two things that will last forever are God and God's people. Every other kingdom, every other president, every other leader, everything that you own will only be a footnote in the history of all eternity. Apart from the life-giving work of the Spirit, we will always feel a sense of emptiness and void in our hearts. No matter what we put in there, it will never be enough. And you guys already know that. So Apostle Paul, he moves on to verses uh, 9 to 11. And this is what he says. This is sort of like his conclusion of this chapter. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, we belong to God, and that can never be taken away from us. The Holy Spirit not only sanctifies us by making us more like Jesus, but also secures our salvation until the day of heaven. As new creations, everything we do is sustained by the Spirit. We belong to Christ and have new desires, a new life, and victory over sin. Of course, as Christians, we aren't sinless, but we do sin less. And this is a partnership between us and the Spirit. Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. So what he's saying is he isn't trying to produce anxiety or fear that you could lose your salvation so that you better keep up your good works because that would contradict and eclipse the work of Jesus on the cross. cross. But rather what he's saying, that we should persistently and actively and intentionally pursue God through obedience and life-giving spiritual disciplines like prayer, Bible reading, church going, and kingdom service. And second, we should have a, a healthy fear of disobeying our Father. We should be in awe and respect of how holy and big God is. And so these verses are telling us that through the Spirit, we find victory over sin, we are sealed into the day of heaven, and one day we will have perfect sinless bodies and enjoy God forever. And so what's our application? What do we do with this text? How can we share what the Spirit, how can we share the Holy Spirit with those in our workplaces, with unbelieving family members, with a stranger down the street, with a classmate, or with a friend, or whoever else God is putting in your lives.
How can we apply what we've learned today in our lives, individually, and then corporately? And Apostle Paul tells us in, in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what is Apostle Paul saying here? Uh, really quickly, what's important here? In order that the, it says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, right? So he's not talking about Christ uh, fulfilling the law for us, but he's saying the righteous requirement of the law is being fulfilled in us, who walk according to, uh, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he isn't saying that you can earn your salvation by fulfilling the law, but what he is saying is that the law has been fulfilled for you in Christ. So out of thanksgiving and gratitude, we, we obey the law by walking in the Spirit. He isn't saying that we earn our salvation by fulfilling the law, but what he is saying is that the law has been, been fulfilled for you in Christ. So out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving, we obey the law by walking in the Spirit. And so what does it mean to walk in the Spirit, in righteousness? Apostle Paul tells us a few chapters later, in chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. Owe no one to anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has, uh, has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the, love is the fulfilling of the law. So he says, love is the fulfilling of the law. So God has given us such an amazing gift of salvation where we didn't earn it or we didn't deserve it. Not by our works, not by our deeds, not by our religious activities, but by the sheer grace and mercy of our almighty and all-loving God. We have freedom from sin, victory over death, and a joy and peace in the way that the world can never offer because of what Christ Jesus has done on the cross and because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives right now. Everyone on this side of heaven owes everybody on this side of hell a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 19 says this, We love because he first loved us. Uh, loved us. So the natural overflow of a forgiven heart is a loving heart. If we really believe the power we possess in the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will naturally want to love people. Love in the Bible is always an action accompanied by sacrifice. To love someone takes sacrifice and a denying of yourself so that there can be resurrections in other people's lives. Uh, a few, uh, I think it was a few days ago, I read something that uh, Jamie posted on Facebook. And I got her permission to share this. But I didn't tell her that I was going to put her kid's picture on there. <laughs> but uh, there, there he is. Uh, how, how old is Ethan anyways? He's two, right? So Ethan is two. Um, and this is what she wrote. Oftentimes our photos of our children reflect the moments where things seem to be working out. Only then can we really pull out our phones and take a picture. What's not seen in this photo is how today really went down. Ethan fought with me the whole way home, screaming and shouting. Meanwhile, I was holding him in one arm and his bike in the other, with him screaming, crying in my ear. But I made it home. Today I won. Today I made it. 
today mastered motherhood. Mommy's back, y'all. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> like, drop the mic. You should be up here preaching. <laughs> but this is a picture of what it means to choose to love someone despite of how you feel. It takes sacrifice. It takes a giving up of your time and energy. It takes a dying to yourself so that someone else can live. There are people in our lives right now that, that there is condemnation being stored up for them because they are not in Christ Jesus. This might be a coworker or a friend or a best friend or a family member or a classmate or even the neighbor next door. It might be someone here sitting in our, our worship service right now. Someone might be thinking, well, won't this cost me my time or my resources or my comfort or maybe even my reputation? Well, with even more right, didn't Jesus give all that up for you and me, but on a more cosmic level and at the cost of his life? Jesus is worth our affection. He's worth our sacrifice. He's worth the worship and praise of everyone that we know. So let's boldly share with the people around us that God has placed in our lives and share them with the testimonies of what the Spirit is doing as Christ's followers. This might mean, <coughs> this might mean inviting them over for dinner, taking them out for lunch, inviting them out to your BLG or our church. But let's do something. Let's start this week. Whoever God is placing on your heart right now, let's reach out to them for the sake of Jesus and the advancement of the gospel. Let's pray. God, you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to take all the punishment and all the wrath and all the condemnation that we sinners and lawbreakers deserved because you wanted us to have heaven. You wanted us to be in reconciliation with you. This is something that we didn't earn. It's something that we didn't desire. And many of us have tasted, including myself, that grace and that mercy and that love. And there's so much peace and there's so much joy in the midst of these crazy circumstances and sufferings that we're going through. But God, we also know that there, there's people here today and people that are going to be listening online that don't have a relationship with you. The things that I've shared, the things that I've talked about, there's no sense of, of, of deep love or mercy or, or peace or joy in their hearts the type of joy and peace that they have is, is more fleeting. It's more short-term, but it's not lasting. And so, God, we want people in our cities, we want people in our church to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want them to have this hope, this, this perseverance. We want the Spirit in them giving life and peace. And so, God, send people our way into our communities. Send people to love us. Send people that are brokenhearted, that don't know who Jesus is, so that we can share the good gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask in his name we pray. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.